Hey, well, we're going to dive in in a minute, but let me tell you what's happening. We're in a series called The Bible uh, or something, Tracy. Okay, the Bible. All right. So anyway, uh, what I want you to know is the reason we're doing this series, and I'm super excited, is I want you to have complete confidence in the Bible. Then I want you to know how to understand the Bible, how to get the most out of the Bible. And so that's what we're doing. Now tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about the origin of the Bible, how we know that the books we have are the books that are meant to be in there, and how we know how they got there. So you need to know how they got there. And are you ready for this? We want to talk about about some books that aren't there <laughs> and why they're not there. But let me tell you about next week, because every time I've told anybody what we're talking about next week, there is a buzz that comes. There's an excitement that comes. There's a, a, a movement that comes. And so what is that topic that people wanted to talk about? Here's the topic is which translation's the best translation for you? What is the best translation of the Bible that you should be reading and you should be studying? Uh, so Bill told me that NIV is the one he's in right now. And uh, so, and plus others, I'm sure. But you love NIV, right? Yeah, yeah. So I love that. And Isaiah, what do you love? ESV. ESV. Yeah. And Natalie? I love ESV. So we got two to one here. No, all right. We're going to wrestle. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what do you love, Laura? I read NASB. NASB. I love the message. Is that okay? (laughs) Nope. Next week. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, uh, how each one matters and why it matters, how you'd use it. Tim, what do you read? NASB. NASB. Okay, so we're going to dig into that next week. I'm going to give you the background. I'm going to show you what one, uh, uh, what the purpose of each translation is. By the way, here's what's kind of cool, is all those translations were had, had a purpose behind them, a really good purpose, by the way. So if you know the purpose, you can understand the translation better. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this. Are there books of the Bible that have been left out? Uh, That was actually posted on uh, our YouTube, a question that came up about that. And I promised I would answer it. And so we're going to answer that tonight. Uh, But there are some people today, actually quite a few people today, who believe that there are what we call the lost gospels or the missing books. Uh, uh, This idea that there would be books that would somehow were discovered that should have been in the Bible, but somehow were either left out or taken out. And so I want you to know uh, that the answer to that question, I'm just going to tell you right out of front, no. Nothing's been left out. The books we have are the books we should have. Uh, And the ones that aren't in there should not be in there. But it's not an opinion. It's based on research. It's based on facts. It's based on history and textual criticism. And so we can know that's true. You see, one of the things we know is the church fathers actually listed the books of the Bible for us. Some people say, well, it was councils of men that got together hundreds of years later that decided what books are in the Bible. But that's not true. Mm. Those councils did get together, but the church fathers, uh, uh, many of whom knew the apostle John, we're going to talk about a guy tonight who actually knew uh, the daughters of Philip. And, and, and if you're wondering who they are, they, they were amazing. And they were actually a part of the early church and knew which books were written by the apostles and which ones should be in there. So here's what I want you to know. We have the, the uh, acclamation or the 
pro- a proclamation of the church fathers, tell early, early fathers, telling us which books were actually written by the apostles and which ones were not. So that's one way we know. Another way we know, and this is kind of fun to know, get ready, is what we call textual criticism. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek which, by the way, very rich language. Mm. Uh, and so Sarah knows Koine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know CBU. No, and... no, that I don't. Okay, I don't yeah. know that language. Were you a music major? No, I was a ministry major. A ministry major? But Is you know that the bad? background. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I still don't know that language. We're getting way off. <laughs> but she's a CBU grad, which is super cool. All right, so here's the thing I want you to know, is that, that many of the books that people are pointing to today were written in a language that was not actually Koine Greek. It was Greek. Like the Greek language today is not Koine Greek. Uh, and so what we need to understand, Koine Greek was an ancient Greek language that is rich and deep and, and, and powerful, and it makes sense God would use that to bring the word to us. But uh, many of the missing books didn't go back to that. And it's a quick way to know, hey, they didn't, they don't measure up. They don't make sense. They don't date far enough back. So uh, we know that. Uh, let me give you an example of one. One is called The Infancy of the Gospel of Thomas. The long title alone means it shouldn't be. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but The Infancy of the Gospel of Thomas is kind of an interesting book. It's supposedly about the, the young life of Jesus when he was young, when he was an infant. And in the book, uh, Jesus would play with the other children by a, a water area, and they would make clay birds, but Jesus would turn his birds to life and they'd fly away. Pretty cool, huh? And uh, in that book, uh, Jesus had a temper. So a little boy bumped and and knocked over one of his clay birds, so Jesus struck him dead. And another little boy bumped into him, so Jesus struck him dead. Then when the parents came out to get mad at Jesus, Jesus struck them blind. And so then Mary ran out and begged Jesus to stop, and she finally talked him into raising the dead and giving sight to the blind. That book's not supposed to be in the Bible. Okay, so, but that's called the infancy of the gospel of Thomas. And, and it doesn't, it's not written in Koine Greek. It has no apostolic authority. And so we know that that is a book that should not be in the Bible. Uh, another interesting thing that was asked about is this. There's the story of Lilith. Now, this would be in the Old Testament, supposedly. Uh, but Lilith is actually mythology. And the most mythology that's written about Lilith comes not from the Bible or the Hebrew culture, but comes from Babylonian culture. So a lot of people who are talking about it today are not talking about something born out of Hebrew uh, or the Jewish culture, but actually it goes to more the Babylonian culture. Now, there are some Jewish myths, but they date thousands of years after when Moses would have written. So the bottom line is we know based on dating, we know based on where they've been discovered, uh, that the story of Lilith should not be Uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Real quickly, some of you are wondering who Lilith is. I shared a little bit with you guys already. It's like a weird thing. Like, it would be a really good sci-fi movie. But but Lilith is supposedly a female demon that Adam married before there was Eve. But then Lilith ended up cheating on Adam and having sex with an archangel. And uh, then she got banned from the Garden of Eden for that. And so that's where some of the story begins, and it gets even weirder, to be honest. And (laughs) Um, I'm not going into all of it. But you know what's interesting? Lilith is actually mentioned in the Bible. Uh, And it's a place when you understand the Hebrew becomes very, very interesting. It's talking about the area near the Gulf of Aquaba. 
It's taught, and that, that's a real place. That's not out of Aladdin. That's really okay. Tracy, right? The Gulf of Aquaba, you know. And, and it's talking about an area near Jordan. And it's talking about the last days. In the last days, there's going to be a, 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 a carnage that's created by demons. Uh, there's a demonic activity today, which we will get into in a further study in time. But what you need to know is in the last days, there's actually going to be uh, an unleashing of demons upon this world uh, because we are a world that loves darkness and not light. Uh, too many people love the lies of Satan and not God. And so that time will come, and Isaiah talks about that day and that time. And what does Isaiah say in Isaiah 34, 13? It says, uh, talking about that area, thorns will come up in its fortified towers. Nettles, which by the way are stinging nettles. Uh, stinging nettles and thistles in its fortified cities. It will be a haunt of jackals and an abode of ostriches. The desert creatures will meet with the wolves. The hairy goat will cry to its kind. Yes, the night monster, and that Hebrew word there is Lilith. Lilith will settle there and you will find herself a resting place. Now, the reason I'm just bringing that up is the Bible does talk about Lilith, but that's all it says, all it goes into. And the story of Lilith that I told you uh, is clearly not something that's supposed to be in the Bible. So uh, what we're talking about is all of these supposed lost books, these lost gospels, these stories from mythology, uh, none of them are supposed to be in the Bible. But how do we know? How do we know that we have all the books of the Bible and how do we know that the books we have should be in the Bible? And I want to hopefully not get too intellectual with you. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hang in with me. and We're going to go a little more scholarly. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into uh, the answer to that and how you can have confidence that the 66 books we have in the Bible are the books that God wants you to have. So let's start with this. Uh, the word Bible actually means book. Okay, so what does the word Bible means? It means books. Uh, and then the word book or Bible is about a book that contains 66 books that that are all put within the Bible. Uh, so these 66 books were written over 1,600 years of time uh, on three different continents by 40 different authors. And yet when you read them and you study them, you find an incredible consistency. You find, and I'm going to dare, dare to say this because I'll challenge you on it, no contradictions. And you find one voice speaking. That's because God inspired the Bible. God wanted you and I to have the Bible. And so we need to understand that the Bible then is something provided by God and protected by God and given by God so we know the heart of God and the mind of God and the leading of God and the promises of God and the power of God. And I could go on and on. And all that's found in the Bible. Yeah, Dave, do it, man. It's all that's found in the Bible. And so this amazing, amazing book is not a book from men, but a book from God. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. It says, all scripture is inspired. Uh, by the way, the word inspired literally means God breathed. So all scripture is God breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, 
equipped for every good work. So here's the thing. The Bible was given by God as a gift to you so that you might be able to know how to live the life he wants you to live, how you actually could seize your destiny, how you could be the best person you could ever be, have the best relationships you ever could have. The Bible has all that for you, which is why I'm so excited for you to know the Bible and to understand the Bible. Uh, By the way, uh, David told us this. David said, the way I wrote scripture was God put his hand up on me. Uh, in First Chronicles 28, 19, it says, all this said, David, the Lord has made me understand in writing by his hand upon me and all the details of this pattern. Uh, real quickly, he was talking about the temple, which would be built. And God actually had a pattern for the temple. But here's the thing David said. Everything that I wrote, God put his hand upon me as I was writing. So it's almost like, I don't know if you guys get excited about this, like David's writing and the Lord comes alongside him and says, okay, David, write this. David, write that. And I shared this last week. God never went, whoops, oh, sorry about that. Now I'll leave it in. No, God never did that. So the bottom line is, is is that God gave that to us as a gift. Then we go over to the New Testament and Peter says something amazing about the Bible. He says, but know this first of all. In other words, it's one of the first things you need to know so you can get everything you need to get. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, what we're getting at is this. What we're looking for to know what books should be in the Bible is they need to have what we call prophetic authority, which is mainly the Old Testament. They were prophets inspired by God, moved by God with God's hand upon them. And so very quickly, the people knew who the prophets were and they knew what they wrote. In the New Testament... We call it apostolic authority. Uh, And what that is getting at is this. Jesus chose 12 apostles. And uh, then what happened is many of them were moved by God to write books based on the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance what they needed to know. So it's Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-driven, and the, the authors themselves were used by God in a wonderful way to write the very things he wanted them to write. So that's the first thing I want you to grab hold of. Now let's talk about something else that will help you. The Bible is inerrant. Yeah. Now what does that mean? It means it was without error. Uh, so the Bible's inerrant. It's without error. It means it's 100% accurate to what the author was moved by God to write. So everything in it was exactly what God wanted to have. Jesus, I'm going to show this in a minute, said even every jot and tittle, which is basically kind of a a way of saying even the grammar grammar of it, like the comma or the apostrophe we call in our language, uh, it's different in Hebrew. But he said even every little part, every breathing mark, everything there was inspired by God, put there by God, so you could know the depth of the riches of the love of God for you and the life God wants you to have. Now, let me tell you this, though. God did that, and it's 100% accurate, but that doesn't mean it's completely precise. Now, some of you might be going, wait a minute. We're going to get into heresy here. No, I'm not heretic. What does it mean it's not precise? Well, God doesn't always need to be precise. Uh, By the way, uh, Tim's been on staff with me a long time. I don't ever try to be precise. (laughs) Well, Laura, you know that's true, too. I round numbers up and... Just, anyway, 
I do want to tell the truth, but I'm not always into like the exact precise thing. Uh, an example of that would be if someone said, how far do you live from here? I said, two miles. I go, well, no, Chuck, you don't live two miles. You live 1.9 miles. No, I live two miles. So anyway, uh, the idea is that it, it gives you the general meaning so that you get the sense of it. it. Sometimes we need that more than we need precision. And so God at times does round numbers up. So one book might have one number, another one might have the precise number, another one might round the number up. But, but they're both true and they're both 100% accurate depending on what God's trying to get across. God also uses poetic language or illustrative language. For instance, in the Bible, it does talk about sunrise and sunset. Does the sun really rise? What's the answer? No. Does it really set? No. We know the earth is the what's turning. But the Bible uses a term so people can understand it better. By the way, I was watching the weather last night, and the weather person who was on actually called out, well, tomorrow the sun's going to rise at, and he named the time. And I didn't stand up and throw something at the TV going, liar! You know, uh, <laughs> the Bible uses another interesting term in the book of Revelation, the four corners of the earth. Now, does the earth have four corners? No, but... The truth is there because four corners of the earth is a poetic term that actually means the entire earth. So does the Bible have statements like that in it? Yes. By the way, on purpose. On purpose so you can understand something better. Um, you know, uh, Laura has written some of my favorite, favorite worship songs that they need to do at Sandals. But anyway, uh, <laughs> plug, plug. So uh, you, you're for it. But you know what? Um, uh, the songs you write very often have kind of a poetical language to it because it brings out a deeper meaning for people. And they're, by the way, her, her songs are always theologically accurate, but, but what we do is we want to get the feel of it. We want to get the depth of it. We want to get the emotion of it. That's not inaccurate. It's actually more accurate because it gets to the heart of the matter. So uh, that's something I want you to be aware of. And so I, I want you to grab hold of that. Uh, also, the Bible at times is addressing a particular culture. And when it does, it does it in a way that makes sense to that culture. Now, if you, maybe I need to tell you why I'm telling you all this. The Bible's 100% accurate. And at times when you're dealing with another culture, you need to adjust your language so you can meet the person of that culture where they are. Um, I, I have my graduate degree in counseling. I had three classes dedicated to cultural sensitivity. Uh, actually, I want to get super accurate. Uh, you know what, Tracy? I would say I, all my classes were dedicated to that, but three specifically were. And if I'm going to be great at counseling, when I'm sitting with someone who's from a more Hispanic or Latino culture, I need to meet them where they are. Uh, and, and I need to understand that or else I'm not going to be able to be good with them. And I'm not going to even be accurate in the, the kind of things I'm wanting them to see and do. Uh, if I'm with someone from an Indonesian culture, by the way, that would be different. And so I need to relate to them culturally. That doesn't mean that I'm going to change what's true, but I may change some of the language I may change some of the illustrations. Oh, Bill, you're with me on that one. Some of the illustrations on that. Man, I'm glad Bill's here. He was here last week too. But, uh, <laughs> but the Bible does that. So as we get ready to understand the Bible more, that's going to help you dig in more and get a better reading of it. So here's what I want you to understand. To understand the Bible correctly, you have to do this. You have to always ask this question. Who is being talked to? 
What is being said to them and what does it mean to me? Now, I'll unpack that more later, but I feel like all of this is important as we get ready now to go to what God wants you to know about how the Bible came about and what you need to know about the Bible. In the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Uh, We've already taught you that the New Testament doesn't cancel out the Old Testament. They complement each other. The Old Testament tells you about Jesus coming. The New Testament tells you about what happens when Jesus came and how that has meaning to your life. And so we'll get more into some of that later and help you even get a richer understanding. The Old Testament, though, was inspired by Moses who was the first author of the first five books of the Old Testament. God told Moses what to write in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Was Moses there for what happened in Genesis? No. God was, though, and God told him what to write. And so... uh, In Genesis, we get the story of the beginning of mankind and how culture came about and how how different uh, acts occurred and and how the earth came to be and and, and how God unveiled his will to a man named Abraham that led to a chosen people and who would one day lead to Jesus Christ. So we have the first five books of the Old Testament, which we call the Torah, is the law of God and it was given to Moses directly. Right in that moment, Knowing Moses wrote it, actually watching Moses write it, Moses' apprentice, who would rise up to be a great leader named Joshua, was able to say, this is what God gave to Moses, who was one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. So we know for sure the prophetic accuracy of the first five books of the Bible. And interestingly, here's what Joshua was told by God, I want you to look at this. Moses has not been dead very long. And God tells Joshua something. Now that you're taking leadership, in Joshua 1.8, he says this, this book of the law, those five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is called the book of the law. He says, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, you should memorize it. But you shall meditate it Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. By the way, parentheses moment. If you and I treasure God's word and meditate on it day and night, then God said, I am going to bring prosperity into your life. Uh, That doesn't always mean money. It could, by the way. And if it means money for any of you, I'd like to go to lunch. But anyway, uh, it, 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 it's, not, it's talking about really prospering in your relationships, in your marriage, but most of all in your purpose. So God's word promises to take you there, to give you that, to guide you into it. And at a time that Joshua needed help, at a time that Joshua needed confidence, the Lord right away said to him, memorize the five books Moses gave you. So by the way, how do we know Moses write them? Joshua, not, he was there when it happened. He was able to treasure them. He was able to hold on to them. So we know they're supposed to be in the Bible. And by the way, there was no Lilith story in Genesis. So uh, we need to understand that. Then what happened is right away, a group of people rose up that had a particular job and it was called the scribes the scribes. This is honestly super important. Uh, uh, the scribes were people who, who scri- were the scribes that wrote down copies of those original books. So they took Moses's copy of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and, and oh, numbers. I left out numbers. No one called me on that. 
Okay, I've only been calling four. No, you said it earlier. Oh, did I? Okay, there we go. But don't leave out numbers, right? Okay, so, uh, uh, but, but here's the thing, is that they would take that and they would write it down and make sure it was word for word. Uh, it might help you to know this. When you read the New Testament, you hear of a group of people called the Pharisees. They were like a political party. There's another called the Sadducees. They were another party. But the scribes were their own group. And, and Jesus interacts with the scribes in his day. They date all the way back to the time of Moses. And there's a particular group of scribes that were called the Masoretes mm -hmm. because they came from the Masoretic uh, uh, family. And so here's the thing about the Masoretes. They were the most accomplished scribes of all. I think this is pretty intriguing. Uh, they were known for their accuracy. They were known for their precision because on this we want to be precise. They knew what book should be in the Bible? Not only from Moses, but from the other prophets because they knew the prophets themselves got copies of their books almost always from them. Like for instance, they did get a copy from Jeremiah and they began to write them down. And when they did, they did it with incredible precision. Uh, back then it was written on what we call papyra, which was kind of a, a large, large piece of, it's not paper, but it looks like paper to us that so would be rolled up into a scroll. And the scribes knew the size of a scroll that they needed to have. And they knew this. Are they ready? They knew exactly how many letters and how many words should be in that particular book of the Bible. So when they copied it down, another scribe came and counted. And if it wasn't right and they couldn't fix it, they burned the copy. They actually burned it to make sure and not have an inaccurate copy. There were some that had what we call scribal errors on minor things that they kept. But if there was a major error or a, uh, the count was way off, they would actually burn the copy because they wanted it to be that accurate. So that's one way we know that what we have today is very, very, very 100% accurate to what we had. Now you're ready for, I don't know if you guys think this is cool, I'm gonna tell you. I, I'm getting excited, no one else has to. The scribes knew what, what word and what letter had to be exactly in the center of each part of the scroll. In other words, they'd roll it out and they would look at that section. They would look right down at the center. If the letter wasn't correct or the word wasn't correct and it ended up creating a major problem, they thought they just burned it. Which by the way, this might be interesting to know. Uh, that scroll, if you were to take it into our day and time, would be worth $20,000 and they would just burn it because they wanted to treasure and trust, make sure the word of God was so trustworthy. And so they knew what the five books of Moses were. They knew what Samuel had had people write. Mm -hmm. They knew what David wrote. They knew what Solomon wrote. They knew what Ezekiel wrote, uh, what all the other, Zechariah was one of their favorites. Yeah. A lot of people don't get excited about Zechariah. I get super excited about Zechariah. And, uh, but, 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 but he was one of their favorite and they knew what he wrote and they knew exactly where the letters should be and how many words should be there and the way they should be and they made sure they were protected. So when we get to the time of Jesus, the scribes were able to say without anybody challenging them because nobody would, not because of power, but because they had done this so long, they had done this so well, they knew what books of the Old Testament should be there. By the way, one reason we do not have the Apocrypha in the English Bible is the scribes did not believe and actually taught that the Apocrypha did not have prophetic authority. Wow. By the way, and Jesus never quoted from it. 
because Jesus also held to what had to have prophetic authority. So I want you to be aware of how precise they were, how meticulous they were to make sure not only the first five books, but every other book in the Old Testament was given to us in a way that we could have trust in it. Uh, and so we were able to do that. And we're able to see today uh, uh, that we can trust it. Now, one reason why is because the scribes transcribed thousands of copies that were spread all around the world. So in Alexandria, there was a huge library and there was an incredible amount of Jewish uh, literature there uh, that were scrolls. And when those were discovered and they opened them up, they matched what we have today that was found in Israel, that was found in uh, a part of North Africa, that was found in Rome. They all match up together, uh, by the way, with the same books known uh, to be accurate, to be what's in it. Then I'm going to totally get into something you really need to know. So please don't tune out on me. You're going to hear at times someone call out of something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls not only tell us that we have today what we should have in the Old Testament, but through the Dead Sea Scrolls and the people who transcribe those scrolls, we also know what books should be in the Old Testament. So we know the books that were considered prophetic and, and they go back actually to the prophet writing them. And we know that what we have today is accurate to it. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls where they were first found. I think this is pretty cool. What happens in 1947, if you guys want to glance at that. In 1947, a shepherd boy was walking in that area called Qumran. And, and he was hunting for a lost goat. And he looked down in that particular cave. And by the way, that cave is the cave. That's the cave this happened in. And he threw a rock to see if the goat was in the cave. And he heard a crash instead. And he made his way down and found all these jars that were sealed up. And when he opened the jars, he discovered one of the greatest archaeological finds that have ever been right. found. And it led to us discovering 900 ancient documents that predated the earliest ones we had mm. by hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and what we found were, were mostly fragments. So what you need to know is because of the course of time, even in those jars, they turned into fragments, which meant that this took years to like piece them together. And when you go to Israel, especially in the, uh, in the museums that are there, you can see how they piece them together. But we know through dating, we know through history, we know through textual criticism uh, that what happened is that the Bible we have today is the one we're supposed to have. I wasn't going to say this, and I want to get too far off. Uh, one of the most challenged books of the Old Testament is the book of Daniel. And, and the reason is it actually has so much prophecy that has been so accurately fulfilled. And so a lot of people say, well, that it had to be authored after the fact because it's way too accurate. Mm -hmm. It's like stuff that's said about Alexander the Great. But we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls a copy, more than one, but a copy of the book of Daniel that predates Alexander the Great by more than 300 years. So we know 100% that that book was written before mm. and is accurate, which we'll get into more later. Awesome. Uh, so anyway, it's kind of interesting because those, those, those incredible scrolls that were discovered have almost the entire Old Testament in it. In particular, they have Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel. Uh, by the way, we just recently uh, uh, had an announcement made that Nahum and Zechariah, another copy was found that's even older than all those that we found. Now, what you might be saying is, Chuck, what does this even mean? It means that 
in the Dead Sea, right, uh, 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 that we were able to discover there. And in other parts of Israel, we have lists of what are supposed to be the books that are considered a part of the Old Testament. So it's not like we just all got together and said, hey, which one do you want to choose? I mean, there's so much good history that tells us what we should choose, what we should trust, what we should believe in. And if I haven't said it well, let me say it again. It comes down to prophetic authority. So by the time of Christ, it was very easy to assemble all of the books that were considered the Old Testament, all the books that we were supposed to study, the law that came from Moses, the history section that we know occurred and was given to us in a short time after it happened. The words of David, the words of Solomon were treasured right from the start. As a matter of fact, if you're wondering what David wrote, he mainly wrote the Psalms, which were songs that were sung right away. And so we know all of those were given to us and the prophet proved to be prophet, and then they wrote it down, and they were trusted. Hmm. But God had an incredible test for the prophets. This is the test that was given. In Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22, the Lord God says to you and I, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken? And here's what God says. How do you test it? How do you know? says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So here's what God is saying. Whenever a prophet spoke, it had to be 100% accurate. By the way, uh, going back to the book of Daniel, Daniel says that uh, uh, he's pointing to Alexander. He doesn't name him, but he'll rise up. He'll die without having children, and his kingdom will be divided between four generals. If any of you know the history, Alexander rose up. He died before having children, and five of his generals fought over his kingdom. But the Bible said it had to be four. So guess what? They killed off one because it was in the Bible. No, it is not. That is true, but I don't know why I think that's funny. The guy died. But anyway, okay, so that's how we know the Old Testament. The Old Testament, uh, we know because of the scribes. We know because it goes right back to a prophet who spoke it like Moses or like Zechariah, that they wrote it down right away. It was known to them and immediately transcribed. So those books of the Old Testament are known to us and trusted, and there should not be any added, and there should be none taken out. Now, how about this? Jesus promised something about the Old Testament. Jesus said that the Old Testament would be protected by God and would never pass away. Listen to what Jesus said about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest stroke or letter uh, the idea there's even jot or tittle, which is stroke or letter, shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, let me tell you this, not everything in the Old Testament has been accomplished. Therefore, if Jesus really is true, then what he said is true, and it will not pass away. It cannot pass away. Uh, and so there are many, many things in the Old Testament that not, have not taken place yet. The Old Testament says in the last days, our days, that the Antichrist will rise up. By the way, it actually says he'll rise out of Europe. I've had some people say, why do you think it's Europe? Well, the Bible says it. That's why I think it's Europe. It's Daniel chapter 9. It says he'll come out of Europe. And uh, by the way, uh, what it also says in the Old Testament is the third temple will be rebuilt, which we are so close to seeing the third temple be rebuilt. And, but that hasn't taken place yet. Uh, the Bible also says, 
says the time is coming in the last days called a tribulation period. Um, and it, by the way, why is it telling us that? So you and I can be ready and, and, and not be surprised, but also we can make good decisions with our lives and what's a tribulation time, a tough time. I, I brought this up already, but this part hasn't been fulfilled. I, I want to read it to you. I, this is still to come. Uh, it's talking about what's going to happen to women in the last days, particularly in the Mediterranean region, although it will be wider than that. And in Isaiah, this has not been fulfilled yet. So Jesus says, because it's not fulfilled, the Old Testament can't pass away. It says this, moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with their heads high and seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps and tinkle the bangles, uh, bangles on their feet. They have jewelry on their ankles is what it's saying. Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughter of Zion with scabs. Okay, I think that's funny. Tracy didn't think that's funny. I just think that's so funny. And the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Look what else he says about it though. Now it will come to pass instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword because of war and your mighty ones in battle. And in her gates will lament and mourn and deserted, she will sit on the ground. She'll sit alone, brokenhearted, because the men that she used to know and love were killed in war or killed in other ways. And then it says, for seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Now, what that's describing is in the last days that something will occur so that the, the women's hair will fall out. They'll develop scabs on their head. Their skin will rot on their bodies so that it smells. And I've already brought this up before. Bill, you were there, right? Radiation. Radiation. Yeah, Bill knew it. Radiation poisoning from a nuclear exchange, which the Bible describes not once but at least twice, that there will be nuclear exchange, which would create radiation, which would affect our ecology and our climate, but also would affect people individually. Now, you might be saying, Chuck, why'd you bring that up? See, Jesus said if things are not fulfilled, then the Old Testament can never pass away. It will always be protected by God so that you and I will have even the smallest part of it mm -hmm. and be able to trust that what we have is from him. And so the Bible is very, very clear that that's going to happen. Uh, and so we are at a time in our, our world where things that people used to read and study and they go, I don't understand how that's going to happen. We all know easily how it will happen, what will occur. By the way, if I'm going to give you bad news, let me give you good news. There's also something else that hasn't occurred, and that is Jesus Christ is going to return, right. and he's going to have a thousand-year reign on earth, restoring the earth to almost a garden of Eden. Actually, I shouldn't say almost, to being even better than the garden of Eden. And I love this. It says in Isaiah chapter 11, talking about those days, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling, which is a cow, a large, large cow, will be together. And a little boy will lead them. In other words, when you have, uh, you know, like right now with your kids, you tell them to be careful uh, when you see animals. Yeah. And you know what? In that day, you'll be like, oh, have fun with the wolf. You know, play with it. <laughs> it says, also the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra 
and the weaned child will put on his hand in the viper's den. So Laura, you would just say to Sage, oh my gosh, you're playing with the cobra, how cute. <laughs> hey, go get that viper for me. You know, and, and what is it describing a time when the animal kingdom and us are reunited the way it was supposed to be? Not at odds with each other, not afraid of each other, not causing harm to each other. And a day's coming where the world will be like that. By the way, for those who love the Lord, that's the kind of world we're looking towards. For those of you who have not yet committed your life to Christ, you will be left behind to all the horrors that I described prior to that. And so the Bible was given by God to give you many things, including a heads up on what's coming. So we need to understand how real that is. So the Old Testament, Jesus said, will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Now, let me go to the New Testament. The New Testament is provided by God and protected by God. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 35 said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus said, the Old Testament won't pass away. And Jesus said, all that I'm giving you in the New Testament, that won't pass away either. In particular, his own words. Amen. And so what happens is this, is that the Lord inspired the apostles and other writers to write what we call the New Testament. Uh, the books that are given by God to point us to a relationship with him uh, that's amazing since Jesus came and lived on this earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, so you and I can know that. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told this. We're told that, that the books that Paul wrote were considered scripture. Mm. Peter, who was Jesus' best, best friend, mm -hmm. his leading apostle, said everything Paul wrote was inspired by God in his scripture that you need to take to heart and treasure and study. So in 2 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, speaking of these things in all his letters. So Peter's saying every letter Paul wrote, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, <laughs> Philippians, Colossians, and more. He said every one of these letters are from Paul, were given to him by God. And it says this, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with the other parts of scripture. Did you see that? And this will result in their destruction. But Peter said, what Paul wrote is scripture. What Paul wrote is from God. What Paul wrote is for you and me to trust. So how do we know that the 13 books that Paul wrote, the 13 letters Paul wrote, are the ones we should have in the Bible? Well, guess what? Peter said they should be. Peter, who was inspired by Jesus, knew Jesus personally, said what Paul has given to us is a gift from God that you and I are to treasure. By the way, of the other 14 books beyond the ones Paul wrote, for the most part, they were written by other apostles. So John wrote five of those books. Mm. Peter wrote two of those books, and Matthew wrote one of those books. They were uh, people who were apostles, therefore they have apostolic authority and were guided by Jesus. Jesus even said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you remembrance on all the things you've seen and heard and tell you what to write. And so that is how we, we have their books. Now, what about the other books that are there? Uh, for instance, James and Jude. Well, James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus and had apostolic authority. Uh, Luke uh, was actually Paul's apprentice. 
And he was a physician, a doctor, who wrote with great precision, by the way. And, and Luke wrote Acts and Luke, or Luke and Acts. And we know that the early church said he got what he got from Paul and other witnesses. Then Mark is a very interesting one. He's my, one of my favorite. Uh, Mark uh, uh, actually fought, was a, uh, someone who was very, very close to Peter, probably even related to him, by the way. And, and so what happened is Peter told Mark what Jesus did, and that's how we get Mark. And so you could actually accurately call Mark the gospel according to Peter. Uh, and so I'm going to get to that more a little more in a minute. And then Hebrews was immediately uh, considered scripture. So everything that we have in the New Testament has early dating and early acceptance so we can know that these have what we call apostolic authority. So the Old Testament has prophetic authority. The New Testament has prophetic authority. And it's not like just a bunch of people got together and did it. The early church fathers, people, and we call them church fathers because they knew the apostles, at least some of them. They right away kept saying, what books do we trust? What ones do we not trust? And we have writings from them naming what John wrote, what Peter wrote, uh, why Peter, by the way, was attached to Mark, uh, what Paul wrote. And so we know which ones were and which ones were not from those authors. Mm -hmm. There was one man named Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp uh, was born in 65 AD. He died in 155 AD. By the way, by martyrdom, he was put to death because of his love for Jesus. He was a disciple of John. He knew John the apostle personally. He was appointed by John to be the pastor of a church called the Church of Smyrna, which you can read about in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Polycarp uh, ended up leading another man named Papias to faith. But Polycarp, I, I don't, I'm going to say this real quickly. You know what he was famous for, you guys? People talked about when Polycarp prayed, you could feel the Holy Spirit like you never had before. Oh. That, that's written about. I mean, that he would have that kind of power. Matter of fact, when they went to put Polycarp to death, the soldiers didn't want to do it. They begged not to do it. And they tied him to a stake to burn him at the stake. And the soldier looked at Polycarp and said, why will you not? All he had to do was uh, burn incense to Caesar. And he refused to do it. Just one drop and he refused to do it. And he said, Polycarp, why won't you do it? Why won't you do it? And Polycarp said, for 86 years, Jesus has never let me down. I cannot turn on him now. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is he went ahead and lit the fire. And more than one account says the fire went to go up around him and not burn him. More you already know about this. And, 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 and it wouldn't burn him. And so the soldier finally ended him having to put him to death through stabbing. But even then, people were aware of this powerful presence. Polycarp let us know what books were written uh, by John and which books John said are the ones we, you and I can trust. And that happened right away. Uh, uh, John probably died around 95 or 100. And, and so we know that to be true. Papias, who Polycarp led to the Lord, um, by the way, uh, knew John, the apostle. He also knew Polycarp. And uh, he knew Philip's four daughters. This is why I get super excited about them. Uh, they were all known, they were world famous to be prophetesses. Uh, it says that in the book of Acts. And they're the ones who told Papias that Mark got the gospel from Peter. Well, that's why we would call it the gospel according to Peter. So they were able to say that and tell that. If you haven't caught it, early, early dating, early history, apostolic authority is established in those moments. So by the time John the apostle died, we knew which books should be in the New Testament and which ones should not be. It wasn't decided on 300 years later at a council. A council did meet and talk about it. Uh, 500 years later, after the death of John, another council met, and they all, but they were stamping affirmation on already what, 
what was known was true. Mm. And so we have this prophetic word made more sure. Mm. We have it made more sure, which means you can trust the Bible. You can trust the books we have in it are the ones we're supposed to have. You can trust the ones that aren't in it shouldn't be there, especially the stories of Jesus killing other little kids, which <laughs> cracks me up. <laughs> like some people believe that one. Uh, but here's what we do have more, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Bible will do that. And, and you know what I want to say is, while all the evidence is there, I know I change when I read Scripture. I know I change when I memorize Scripture. I know it shows me how to live and what to do. By the way, this last year, it was my lifeline. And I never, ever let me down. And God wants that for you. Right now, for some of you, for the very first time, you need to know that the God who gave you the Bible is the God who gave his only begotten son for you on the cross so you could know love, so you could know life, and so you could be his child. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, the Bible tells us. But he died to forgive you of your sins so that you could become a child of God, where you have a very real relationship with God as your, your dad, as your papa, as your Abba Father. Some of you right now need to pray a prayer for the first time to give your life to the Lord. Some of you need to pray a prayer to come back to God. You need to recommit your life. Something might have taken you away. Maybe doubts. And maybe tonight helped you with those doubts. But you know what? God wants you to know his love. And that's why he gave you the Bible. And gave you truth so you could know the truth. And the truth could set you free. Do you need to be free from something? Then right now commit your life to Christ. Do you need to be healed from something? A deep hurt or pain? give your life to Christ? Do you need something to happen to restore, to bring things back to you? Maybe a relationship, maybe a hope, maybe a dream. God cares about those. By the way, God cares about those. You know, you need to commit your life to Christ. So maybe either you individually, you as some friends, you as a couple, right now you need to pray this prayer with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love your word and I love what the word tells us the message that's there, the truth that's there. And I know, Lord, part of what it says at the very end in Revelation is the Holy Spirit says, come. If anyone thirsts, let them come. And let let them drink from the waters of life. Right now, some people need to start living. They really need to start living, living the life you have for them, living with the love you have within them living with the knowledge of how much you care about them. So I pray right now for anybody who's out there that needs to say yes to you. They need to open their heart to you. If that's you right now, I want you to pray a prayer with me. And I'm hoping you pray it. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. 
So I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you pray that prayer, praise God. I am so excited for you. I am so excited for you. But I want to tell you, you you don't want to stop there. There's a next step to take. And it really is an important one. Uh, And so don't hold out on us. If you pray that prayer in a minute, right now, right now, I want you to either text amen to 77247. So text amen to 77247 or go to crossroadschurch.family. So www.crossroadschurch.family and click on I said yes. Then what are we going to do? We care about you. We genuinely care about you. So we're going to find out who you are. We want to know your name, a little bit more about you. We want to send you an electronic copy of a book that I think can really help you and really be great for you. And it's free. It's free. We want to give that to you as a gift. So if you prayed that prayer, if you said yes to the Lord, text amen to 77247 or go to crossroadschurch.family. Why? Because we want to be your family. We really do. We want to be a church family together. You know, the idea is God made you to live an abundant life, an incredible life, not an easy life, but one that matters. And may you this week experience him leading you that way. The best way to get that direction is from his word. May his word be alive in you. God bless you guys and have a great night.